Wild baby. Wild baby. Wild baby? Wild baby. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Baby. We're your hosts, Maddie Wong and Jay Begay, Colorado-based portrait photographers sharing our personal perspectives and journeys through societal expectations on beauty. Wild Baby is here to provide people of color, gender identity, and sexual expression, a safe community that will allow everyone to grow, learn, and heal. Disclaimer, we are not licensed therapists, sexologists, or claiming that we know everything. We are just a community who wants to have interesting conversations that will hopefully allow us to heal. Happy Friday, everyone. I hope this day brings you new energy to allow you to push towards those goals in mind. We're jumping back into the conversation of the art of toxic masculinity, part two. This episode is getting into Lucin's art and how she developed her confidence in her work. For our community, this one's for you, baby. Stay tuned for the idea that blew my mind. The artistic, quote-unquote, container. Hope you enjoy. I'd love to know. We'd love to know more about your project and where kind of what the inspiration was behind it for bestiality. Cause that is an intense project. So tell us a little bit more where it stemmed from. Yeah. So for starters, I've actually changed the title of the collection from bestiality to be called allies and protectors. So the, and that's just as of recently, I originally, so the digital collection of my animal heads on like femme nude bodies, I called bestiality because I wanted it to be provocative in the sense to like have people question and to be able to bring up the conversation for them to be like, why'd you call it bestiality? Uh, where like, you know, it's kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. And that at the time, that's what I wanted. Um, but then I, that was, uh, while I was still in school and the, this project actually stemmed from a school project, from a school project. And so it was easy to talk to people in school. I went to Naropa University, which is a Buddhist-based contemplative university. It's uh, very understanding, for lack of better words. Everyone is very has very similar opinions politically and sexually and, and all of that. And so it was easy for me to be like, to kind of, to, to have the title of bestiality. So I kind of sat on that for a while. And, uh, so then I kept all of just solely the digital illustrations, like to just be bestiality. And then when I started working on the paintings, I called them allies. And I think, uh, so all of the, actually not, I think fact, all of the digital illustrations, then I started doing paintings of all of them as well. So for a while, this was before I got into NFTs. For a while, I thought they were just going to all transition over to paintings and I wasn't going to even really do anything with the digital illustrations other than having them as kind of like the mock-ups for the paintings. So then fast forward to just not too much further later when I decided that I wanted to actually like use the digital illustrations that I created from bestiality. I didn't want them to be called bestiality in the wide stream public because of bestiality is like has a it's like again like I don't want to say it's asking for it mm. but it's putting the sexual connotation on it before I even really get to explain myself right. before I actually actually get before I get to the statement right and so I didn't want people thinking that it was something sexual from jump and that is such a huge part of the statement in itself is that sexually or um, nudity doesn't necessarily equal sexuality and I go into like the censorship issues and everything too so I decided to go based off of the painting series allies but that actually on a on an NFT platform that title allies was taken so I decided to title it allies and protectors and I start because as I've been working on these pieces, they really have become my allies and protectors in the space of battling with the male gaze. When I have the paintings and, and, and the images, the illustrations large scale around me, I feel like they are actually 
I feel like they're protecting me. I feel like they're here to, to get me through being a woman in, first of all, male dominated space, but also just being a woman in the world and being able to combat this. I really feel like they are kind of like my deities, my guides, my angels, my like a presence that really does have an influence over how I move through the world. And so now the collection as a whole, including the paintings, including all the illustrations, I'm just all titling allies and protectors. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So thank you. The inspiration came from, there's a lot actually to inspiration. And I kind of tell in different interviews, I'll actually tell different parts of the the initial inspiration from it. Um, But ultimately it, except for one time I was, I had like this like Ted talk style, like keynote speaking gig at East Denver, Ethereum Denver, the, uh, the Ethereum NFT conference just recently, uh, last month. And I didn't know what I was going to talk about. I like was not prepared at all. Cause I was also helping like put on the event. And I just decided that I was going to ramble on about the inspiration. Like I literally just kind of threw my hands up and I just rambled and it was great. And it was what I, I personally needed to do. So there's a video of that somewhere. I just don't know where, <laughs> but so if anyone is really interested in like actually putting the pieces together, you'll hear me rant about it, but to avoid ranting, any further, I'm going to name just a few key points. And so one of those key points is um, I was at a kind of a crossroads in my art career uh, when I was doing the portraits in pantyhose. And I realized I really hated doing portraits or not that I hated it, but I just wanted to do something a little bit more personal. And I didn't want to do other people's portraits. I wanted to focus on something that was super unique in, um, but also like, you know, I could use other references. It doesn't necessarily have to be me as a reference. So I had a reading, a medium reading, and I spoke to my grandmother. And her name is also Lucin. And she apparently in my life is my guide and my angel who kind of like helps me with my like career path and opportunities that I have in that growth. And so I asked her specifically, like, what is my next subject? What do I do? And she said, animal heads. And I said, nah, I hate painting animals. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't work well in this pantyhose medium. Not going to happen. So try something, try again. (laughs) And, um, and she didn't respond. That was it. And so, <laughs> so uh, fast forward, that was like June. So September, October rolls around and I'm in school. And this is uh, 2018, I believe. My professor is telling me I have to come up with a new subject. Like it's really pressing me. Like you got to come up with something new. You have to create your senior exhibition. Like you got to do this. And I was like, nah, mm, uh, like, I don't, mm, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? And so somehow I started, like, it just clicked for me. I was like, animal heads. Okay. What would it mean for me to like, if I had an animal head, what would that look like in life? And so then I, I, at that point I was also going on these like daily walks and, you know, every day getting catcalled no matter what. I kind of took on this concept of like, what if I were to embody an animal while I was going for this walk? What would that, what would that feel like in my body? So then when I got catcalled, there was something that shifted within me. It was like the catcall hit different. It wasn't like I, I growled at them or anything. It was just in my own body. I felt protected in my own body. I felt like, I felt like a tiger. I felt, and I think that is something that could feel different for everybody. But for my understanding of what that was like, it was like really powerful. And so then the next day was a new animal. Next day was like a deer. Next day was a panda. Next day was a snake. Next day, you know, and I kept kind of playing this on. It was empowering to say the least. And so then, you know, 
conceptualizing as artists, you know, as in, in photography, like what we do is we actually are curating experiences in our life and kind of throwing them together to create something, to create the product, to create the image or what, whatever it is. So for me, it was like animal heads got it down. Now, who am I? What is my experience within this? I'm being objectified in my body. And that's where I'm able to kind of process this a little differently. That's where I'm, I'm experiencing it at a higher level or I'm experiencing the impact for bet for the better of what, how this is in my body. I started creating these digital images for the sake of knowing I was eventually going to create the paintings of them eventually. And I created them as mock-ups of these more provocative femme bodies, all nude and some kind of more in, in a pose that would seem sexier than others. And then it was a little while later, I was like, not all of them were the sexiest, but it still kind of played a role. So then with that statement came like, okay, my, my joy, my pleasure of me just enjoying this walk doesn't mean that you can come at me in explaining that in my statement was nudity doesn't equal sexuality. My pleasure of enjoying my body doesn't mean that you can objectify me. And yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the core of the inspiration with the paintings. The paintings actually didn't come for another year and a half. Uh, it took a while because I just got so carried away with the digital illustrations and I fell in love with that process. And, uh, I ended up even having my like senior exhibition. I did my own rendition of The Last Supper with all of these, with a lot of these characters, not all of them. I have like 25 characters or something, or maybe 20. And so just a few of them I put in The Last Supper, which I called Not Our Last Supper. And it's a bunch of the characters in their positions and on the plates on the table. They're all like genitals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that in itself was like my way of pushing back on the conservatism that comes through in the Catholic Church and et cetera. There's definitely an aspect within this that is pushing back on the conservative culture of like how sexuality and pleasure is something that's bad. So we're tying in pleasure activism. And then as a whole, I wrote a statement for this collection. And the thesis was eco-feminist art dismantles the culture of toxic masculinity. And now and then as I move forward, my statement maintains that as the umbrella, because as I mentioned, the, the toxic masculinity is the umbrella and then the male gaze is up is an aspect after that. And I really wanted to drill into that. So then furthermore, you know, eco-feminist art dismantles the culture of toxic masculinity and my work in each individual project is to dismantle the culture of femme objectification within the male gaze. And I think there's something to be said for working within the male gaze to kind of extract rather than pushing at it from a different angle where I really like to come in from the sense of like what I know and how I grew up fighting this for myself. And as we spoke before, like, you know, when those boys were like slapping my butt, I learned how to push back on it by understanding them and knowing where they came from versus if I were to come at them from a perspective where it's like, fuck you guys, you are, you, you're wrong. They wouldn't hear what I had to say. And so also a part of having a little bit more of like, of kind of aligning myself with the male gaze, it gets people's attention for the people that I, I want to dismantle and for the, for the people whose mindsets I want to dismantle. So yeah, that's it as a whole. And then, uh, you know, I have like a really long roadmap uh, for my NFT projects for like where this is all going, including Madam Frog. So I'm actually taking each individual character and I have like a lot planned for each one, but I'm just going to go based off of what I have available now. As an NFT project, I have what is minted on uh, OpenSea right now, which is the marketplace called uh, Allies and Protectors Gen Zero, which has a bunch of different characters. And it's kind of like the pre-launch of everything. At the moment, my next step and my next big launch is going to be a PFP NFT project with Madam Frog as one of the characters. And so she's available as Gen Zero. Then there's going to be a Genesis where they're going to be the only nude characters. 
And then I'm hand drawing 777 unique JPEGs, unique uh, illustrations in different versions of Madam Frog. So yeah, it's a lot of work. I'm on like 320 wow. right now. That, that's yeah. still very impressive. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And then I'm going to do um, a few characters. I think I'm going to do six characters, 777. Each of them are going to coincide with the chess piece. I'm creating a whole chess set. I'm integrating it into AR technology. There's like a, a lot happening. I have playing cards lined up. I have tarot <laughs> cards lined up. I've got all the things. Uh, but ultimately, Madam Frog is where my heart lives right now. She's like the main character. And the reason for that is because while I was starting to get into the NFT space, I realized that I had to go onto Twitter again. And I made Madam Frog, the nude version of her, um, I made her my profile picture, right. my PFP, if you will. And I got blocked on Twitter. I got blocked off the whole app. I couldn't even make a new account. It was a huge censorship issue that I had never dealt with before. And so that's actually written in my statement. My statement you can actually find on my website. She is really the catalyst for understanding the concept even further, I think on an even deeper level with um, censorship, uh, where I've dealt with it before, but not like I in, in a way it hit differently when it was when it was Madam Frog. And yeah, so she's in this like squat position. Actually, it's based off of Nicki Minaj's Anaconda cover art. And, you know, it's like so it's super sexy and super cute. Like she's she's down in this like squat position looking back and her ass is just the main subject. Um, and yeah, thick, very thick. And it's also which is great. It's like my same body shape, too. So I'm able to really relate on another level with it. When most people saw the frog would always get the most attention out of all of the characters or at least the initial attention. Men. I would always pay attention to what the men had to say, right? And so they would be like, oh, wow, that frog's butt is big and, like, would get really uncomfortable. And so I kind of feed into that a little bit with this particular project of, like, yeah, and if you look in her hand, you see she has brass knuckles. She's about to fuck you up. <laughs> like, you know, so that's one of the, like, items yeah. that she has in this whole project. There's a, there's a bunch in there, um, but ultimately it's, like, She's really here to push back on the concept of censorship and uh, and the male gaze. I love it. Uh, that's also one thing I just want to share with everybody and why you're such an inspiration to me is because you're so intentional with your work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. I just really enjoy that you've been intentional with everything. Um, even if you don't know the next plan, it sounds like you do, like you always kind of put it together in your head. And I have no idea if that's true, but just the point is you, you think you do. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. There, what has really helped me is um, the concept of an artistic container. And so let's imagine the hypothetical container, like you have this box, right? And you can, you, you can only have like 10 things in a box at a time, or I like to start with three and then max 10. You start with three elements, whatever that is. So subject for me, for example, like subject, animals, subject, uh, femme body and like nudity, subject, feminist theory. Right. And then from there, like what actual like elements can I portray within that that are related on that topic? Then if I feel like I have to. And so then that's where I throw in like, OK, we're going to have this element of like a sword. OK, we're going to have this element of like um, or even colors you throw in there too, like really holistically thinking about this approach. I, usually, I like to stick to like those main subjects. And then, you know, I just don't go too much further from there now. As I evolve as an artist, then I can take things out and replace them one thing at a time. And that's how you create like an evolution or a timeline of like artistically where things are at. So I do actually see where things are going because I know eventually I'm going to want to go there. So then what do I have to transition here in the, my container to get to that place? And that could be in just like one image that I do that. 
so or one project um but you know like so now i'm talking now with the chess set and in terms of like my evolution where i go with that i mean i have things lined up from like animations with whole narratives for these um characters to like a video game like i'm going far with it i'm creating my my whole world yeah it's crazy but you know my next step to get there i want to talk about manipulation and so what do i do within that where my mind goes in my curation of being an artist is like chess you learn how to manipulate things you learn how to kind of distract people and do and make certain moves and plan ahead in a chess game and specifically then what do i have to do to get to that place um actually the chess set is what came first before like a lot of these uh, before the pfp project before a couple of these other things i knew in order to get to there i had to kind of backtrack and look at some other stuff so because the frog got the most uh, attention at first and in a way kind of distracted people from other things as well i decided she's going to be the pawn because she can actually and if you think about what the pawn's role is in a chess game is it's really just more so distracting than anything it's to kind of like in a way manipulate and so i'm also tapping into that sense of like what does it mean to own feminine toxic or toxic femininity too and what does that look like how does that play to my life and now how do we use it that is so brilliant <laughs> That is so freaking brilliant. I love that. And it's really, really powerful too. Okay, so has showing your art always been an easy thing or have you experienced imposter syndrome? Um, Because I know from my experience that doing risky art can really feel very overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, so being an artist, we ha- all have imposter syndrome mm-hmm. at one degree or another. Also being a Gemini, that's one of our like main shadows. I'm a Gemini too. <laughs> it's just having... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I'm surrounded by gems. I'm going like four different imposter syndrome right now. <laughs> literally, literally. It's real. A lot of it is like... Um, Okay, so definitely what I over time, like I just kind of once I realized that I was actually smart, like really, like actually, and I could like put things together and create plans. That's my definition of being smart is like literally curating ideas and creating a plan based off of that, whatever industry that might be. For me, it's art. And I also knew that my technical skills were at a certain degree. Then I trusted myself in knowing that whatever I put out, whether people like it or not, it's good. I've been doing this since I was five. This is all that I know. And one person's trash is another person's treasure. Like if somebody's like, oh, I don't necessarily like that technical skill, like whatever, because I know I'm good. I know I've put in the hours. I know I've put in the thought behind this. And so wherever anybody, wherever anybody else's opinion with it doesn't necessarily matter. So I, but I do like to hear what people have to say, whether they like it or not, it doesn't matter to me. I like to hear what people have to say based off of subject. And so I don't necessarily care what people think of my craft. I care what society says about the subject that I'm working on. And that's what really pushes me forward because I'm able to now talk about it. But I had to learn. I It took me a while. I really had to learn how to talk about my work. And once I created that, like, that thesis, I realized that I've got 50 pages right here that I can just spew out that's deeply embedded in my DNA at this point. I can spew this out at any second and back up my subject no problem from anyone who comes at me with anything. Even if I make up shit as I go along, I trust myself enough to know that that information is somehow stored in me where I can twist it because I know that I'm smart because I've worked hard at this. But then, you know, there's definitely, it's like, I mean, it fuels my ego to be like the best artist in the room. But if I'm the best artist in the room, that doesn't mean that I'm in the right place. I would rather be the quote unquote, like the worst artist in the room, because then that means I'm in the right place growing and meeting these people at this point that I admire. 
Um, and so for imposter syndrome, it doesn't kick in as much as it used to, but uh, on a confidence level, like a personal confidence level, like it comes down to like the sales that I make and stuff. And it's just like, I have to, I question myself, of course, but then I remember what I'm doing and I remember that I'm smart and it goes away. That's good. That's good to hear. Cause like I said, I, I have four different imposter syndrome. I do YouTube for my plants. I stream photography, even being a mom, you know, like I have that imposter syndrome when I meet other moms and I'm like, oh shit, your kids eat this. I give my kids chicken nuggets. Like, you know, <laughs> like if she doesn't want to eat, fine, whatever. Like I won't force her. Um, but yeah, like all those, it's like, I even talk about this with my therapist. Like I told her I have all kinds of shit going through my head. But yeah, like that, honestly, that's something that I've never heard before and something that I will try to implement on my day-to-day <laughs> Go moving forward. <laughs> yeah, trust yourself. You know, the only people who, the only person who's really looking and analyzing what you're doing is yourself. If we think about that as like an opportunity to like, to learn and to grow and say like, if I'm feeling this imposter syndrome within myself, that means that I have some, like, I need to pay attention to something else and evolve Mm -hmm. from here for me as an artist. But you know, it's like, I got to change and whatever space that might be in. But I've got to say like, just having a solid network around you and people who, um, um, just like beautiful, like amazing people around you really does help when you get validation from people who you also value, whether that be like their work, their parenting style, like just the way that they move through the world, whatever that is. And, you know, I, there's, I've definitely in my life have, have kind of played the role of like fake it till you make it kind of thing. But I'm also trying to shift that slogan a little bit to try it until it works. Mm, you know, like, keep, yeah, mm-hmm. keep like, just keep like, you know, fake it till you make it, but there is no faking you're doing it, <laughs> right? Just keep trying it until you make it. And also another mantra that has helped me navigate this space is like, go with what's working. And I've been saying that pretty much over and over again, like, just keep going with what's working. If this is the thing that's working, go in that direction. If we're feeling imposter syndrome here again, like that, just turn a corner, you know, try to navigate a new, just go move around that obstacle, whatever that might be, and then see if that works. And if that works, then keep going. And then if you feel it's just information, imposter syndrome. So this reminds me of Genius with Kanye's documentary. And I've only watched the first episode, but I was super inspired because he has that same mentality uh, at the beginning. And that's because of, you know, him growing up with support and being loved by his mom, I'm sure. But he has... He's also a Gemini. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) But he's inspired me of that aspect of his confidence in himself and how he showed up in front of other people. And I kid you not, again, I've only watched the first episode, but the next day I was like, I'm the fucking shit. And I kept giving myself those like mental talks. And yeah, I still I still feel like the shit, even though I'm tired half the time. <laughs> but you are, Jay. You are the shit. Yeah, I can be the shit. I just, I show up differently. (laughs) That's the thing. I watched that at the end of the day. What I got from that is he trusts his artistry. And because he trusted his artistry, you know, he was able to navigate his imposter syndrome and whatever, just by solely just like being like, I got this. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that what I've got is good and I'm going to keep going after it until it's mine and whatever that looked like, you know, for him, that was also uh, signing with Rock Nation, you know, and eventually like, you know, now look at him and Jay. And so that actually inspired me a lot too, in that same sense of like, yeah, he was good, but like, was he the best really? I don't know, but he had a camera following him. So everybody thought that he was this shit. Everybody thought to look at the optics of what he made himself look like. 
that actually, you know, gate like was able to support or or give other people the idea and plant that in their head that he knows what he's doing. And that's a marketing technique right there. That's literally like I'm actually thinking I, I have friends who, who who hire people at these conferences to walk around literally with the camera and just record them. And I'm also considering that as well. I think it would be really helpful for my own self-confidence, actually. Like, it changes other people's... And not that I... You know, it's like, do we care about what other people think? It's arguable. And at, every day it changes for me. But at these conferences and when I really want to, like, enter the proper networks and, and the space, not even the proper, but these desirable networks and, and um, meet up with these people that I actually want to have conversations with. Are they going to take us seriously if we're just like everybody else? I also think being an artist and having to go through school with the art community, they're such hard asses. They hurt my feelings often I think Maddie knows exactly what I mean, but I felt like I was being attacked at being just me a lot of the time, which makes sense, or just like little shades. And I just, you just have to build that protection and that wall and that disconnect from emotion to critique or so I definitely see that a lot more in the art community, but I, I do wonder a little bit of was there an evolution to your confidence? Was it like, again, do you think that you always just kind of had it? Like when you were young and you presented, do you have, do you remember that feeling? I remember being terrified. Yeah. So there was one time in school where I had imposter syndrome, like, and and that was my first time being the least experienced artist in the room and it was my first time I was always the artist everywhere I went in high school and like even growing up like I was always the artist but I was always in the cool crowd where like only the nerds would be the artists and I was able to make that shit look good and that's you know again because I learned how to adapt and I'm saying the cool kids because it's just like we all thought we were the shit That's what I mean by the cool kids is we all thought we were cool. So I actually like grew up in an environment where everybody around me just thought we were cooler than cool. (laughs) Like literally too too cool for school. (laughs) So so it wasn't until I was a senior in high school where I had kind of convinced my teachers to get me into the advanced art classes, even though I didn't have the prereqs for it. But I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do without being in this class. I need to be in it. And I really, really like stood up for myself in that sense. And I'm glad that I did. Um, They were like, okay, you know, you're sure because you haven't really shown like you're fine at art but like you know my thing was a commitment at the end of the day it was I was committed to my craft whatever that even looked like at that point I didn't know so this is, I was 17 so in a bunch of the assignments and the advanced assignments I would always get like the most critiques and but I would always make sure that I critiqued even harder so I knew that I had the right eye it's just my technical skills were off So that helped. I just learned how to critique others really well. And I would be the hard ass, but then I would also get the most slammed in my art until then actually this um, medium with pantyhose came along and I ended up winning all of these awards left and right. And I started seeing the kids around me get jealous. And I was like, got it. Told ya, sucker. You can't, you can't even critique this shit because you can't do this. You don't know what I'm doing. And so, (laughs) it was great and um you know so it's like again like yeah sure like fake it till you make it but I just learned how to critique and then also I learned how to critique myself and that is what was important so I knew that when I was able to be like I don't like your composition I don't like how that part is just too close to the frame and you have this thing over there then I would implement that into my own work I actually critiquing has always been really really helpful for me and Jay I'm surprised that you say that because I know like you take feedback really well and I've always admired that in you and as long as I've known you at least (laughs) you're always you know you do you do and I, I think there's something to be said for that 
it all comes down to that. Like I would really like now I'm at the point where I'm like, yo, I know I'm good, but I want somebody to critique my work. I don't have that Mm -hmm. now. And so I know that there's this like point where it's, I have to be the one who's critiquing myself. I have to be really hard on myself and say like, okay, look at everything with fresh eyes and be like, okay, if I were to critique, if this were somebody else's piece and I was just looking at this like objectively, not subjectively, objectively, what would I say? Because I know subjectively I've got it in the bag. Um, so that's how, that's artistically, that's how I got through that. But then on a personal, like, confidence level, that's something I learned when the boys were slapping my butt when I was 10. The confidence was, we spoke about this, you know, what the confidence was intimidating. The confidence was a defense mechanism. Damn. So I have a slight funny story. It's a slight tangent, and I know that we got to wrap this up soon. But I remember in college, (laughs) not me, I did not complain about this, I swear. Um, Apparently, the critiques were so bad from our superiors, quote unquote, um, somebody had to complain. We had to have like a circle in our class in space and say, I don't appreciate your negative feedback without a way or suggestions of how to improve it. I hear that. So my, like at the school that I went to for art, when I really focused on art uh, was Naropa and, you know, we're contemplative based Buddhist university. So philosophy is deeply embedded in like everything. And ethics is deeply embedded in literally like everything to the point where it's annoying. And as somebody who loves philosophy and ethics. (laughs) um, (laughs) And so what, our department did all of the teachers like they kind of laid out how critiques would go for every class so we had options when we had critiques as the artist we would say like what kind of critique we would want so we could say we would want a visionary critique where you see something and you'd tell us like where do you see this going from here we have a purely like motherly critique or like a nurturing critique where it's like you would just give a bunch of compliments basically be like I love this honey this is this is really good that's really good like coddling kind of thing so if somebody just wanted to hear good things that's what they would say and then I was always the one who was like we called it a drill sergeant (laughs) drill sergeant critique I'm like give me the drill sergeant critique because I know that's the only critique that I actually want to give anybody and I know I have to get a taste of my own medicine. <laughs> so we had like, we had choices. And I thought that was kind of cool to be like, yo, there are different kinds of critiques to offer. And I loved that. And I wish more schools would actually able to implement that because I think that the people who can handle the drill sergeant critiques are the ones who are actually going to go far. That's my personal opinion. I don't think that's a fact, but that's my opinion. I, I explained why earlier. You know, when we're being coddled in our work, it's because it just, there's no growth. There's no growth. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate hard critiques more than, oh, I like this color. You know? Right. But yeah, I think all of my critique days were back in college. My favorite critique was definitely the one that told me, I think you messed up. Because then I know how to get back and I know how to make it not all messed up. And I miss that. Like now in my videos and um, like even editing for the podcast, I always get um, my husband to listen to it because he's always that. He's always like... I don't think this is right. And at first I was like, why can't you be on my side for one? (laughs) Same. Because I'm like, you're my husband. You're supposed to say nice things to me, you know? But like, no, like anything that comes out of his mouth has always been like, I don't think you should do it like this. I think you should do it like that. So that's when I learned like, you know what? No, I think this is where I can grow. And yeah, like that is really something that I miss from going to school is those critiques. Do you think that people critiquing your work should be related to the medium that you're in? Or do you think it's really just anyone? Yeah, I think anyone can. I I, 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 I just know who to listen to and who to not listen to at this point. It's like if you know what you're talking about and it it comes through in the comments, you know. 
with my subject. And this is what I love about my subject is like, I can tell when people are bothered by my subject and are trying and like, don't know what to say. So like, are like, Oh, I like the colors <laughs> or like, or like oh, flips have something negative to say, but it's not, it's like, they're just uncomfortable, which is, I like, I like making people uncomfortable through my art because that sparks conversation, but it's funny to watch people dance around their discomfort. Uh, and how that then is portrayed in, um, in like what they actually have to say about their opinions of my work itself. Uh, quick, funny little story. When I was in high school and I was winning all these awards left and right, it was kind of crazy how much recognition I was getting. Like so much so to like I was getting awards for getting awards at my school. And it was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Literally one night, it was Thursday night. I was in front of the school board, winning awards for winning awards. The next night, I got suspended from school for 45 days for drinking at a school dance. I had to miss all of my really important school art shows, my like senior exhibitions and all that. I was able to do the work for it, but I wasn't able to be on campus. And so there was one show that was at my school in particular where it's like I could only go after hours to set up and stuff and I wasn't able to be there which you know sucked and I missed like proms and like school trips and all kinds of stuff but the funny thing this is the was my favorite this is when I learned that I love to hear about what people had to say about my work whatever it was is there was one show in particular that was not at my school. It was like at another school that I was included in and like just everybody, like it was a district show. So it was just all kinds of people. A lot of people that I didn't know my art teachers, like two out of the four of my art teachers were like, were there and just kind of frolicking around. And maybe some of the, my peers were, were there too. I dressed up in my brother's clothes <laughs> and I went to that show <laughs> and I was like, not like I was, I was not supposed to be there because I was suspended from like all campuses in the whole entire district. And I, so I dressed up in my brother's clothes and I went and my brother and my mom, I went with my brother and my mom and they just kind of like stood there like representing for me, um, kind of. And then I stood in the corner just to listen to what everybody had to say. And that, and I had, but I had to keep my mouth shut because I wasn't the artist. I was some fuck boy in the corner. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And that's, that's when I realized like, yo, like, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to respond to anybody. I just really love to hear what people have to say. Uh, and whether it be like subjective, objective, um, whatever it is, that's their own opinion. And it's just information for me to know where I'm going to take it next. What was the funniest thing you heard? Do you remember? So this was when I was doing portraits in the pantyhose. Mm. Uh, and it was kind of all the same stuff. I mean, I, I still get the same response from it's pretty much the same thing. It's like, oh, that's pantyhose. I thought that was charcoal. Wait, that's all pantyhose. Wait, when I was back here. Oh, my God, that's crazy, which I love. You know, I love hearing that because it is I'm the, as far as I know, I'm the only one in the world in the world who does this. Uh, but then like, you know, so it's I didn't hear that people didn't like it because the concept of the medium alone was just so mind blowing. But I'm, I'm definitely going to be into integrating that into something else. But you know, I didn't really care what people had to say. Again, it was just like, okay, people think that this is charcoal. Got it. Great. Let me milk that. You know? Yeah, that's great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Art that makes you uncomfortable is the best. Honestly. Totally. My I had a professor who said that good art should ride on the fine line of inspiration and irritation. Mm. It could go one way or another, or it could be somewhere in the middle, but good art will make you feel either or, or both. So when we, so when we were in college, I was in a book making class and I grew up in a very strict Christian household. Tried to read the whole Bible, like probably like, I don't know, like over 50 times to try to actually read them. The only thing that I managed to always read fully was the book of Proverbs because it's the only chill one, you know? 
I decided to tore up. I still had my Bible then. I decided to tore up the whole thing of Proverbs from my own Bible. You can see all my notes. You can see all my highlighted like verses and everything. I tore it to pieces, put them all together and make a whole thing. And then I wrote in red paint. I don't remember what I wrote, honestly, but it was very like all of them are very controversial. All of them are very like basically it's saying that the Bible is not written by one person like that. Someone else wrote this, that this is not the ultimate truth, that I have my own truth, my my teacher, my professor, loved it so much because he knew my background. Like I told him, like he knew why I made that. And by by the way, when I was doing that, my mom was visiting, so <laughs> staring up like my Bible pages. I had to like hide it from her, <laughs> and like I had to, I had to make amazing. sure that oh, okay, so she's gonna be in town. I have to finish this, and I have to like hide everything. <laughs> but that ended up being in the library like that ended up being displayed one of the girl that works at the library she's she always comes up to me like hey so this is this this and this and this is what being said about your work someone actually asked her to take it down because it's very disrespectful and it basically invalidate every christian belief and i was like Leave it up. Don't take it down. Leave it up. Because that's from their point of view. But from my point of view, like I've been through so much because of the Christianity belief. And yeah, honestly, that's why I'm like, when I saw your Instagram post, like when I saw like your art, I was like, I'm so on board with this. I love <laughs> Yeah, it's wild what people will say um, based off of their religion. It's really interesting. And that is so um, I just want to give you your flowers on that and just say, like, you know, kudos to you for being like brave enough to actually go to those depths of portraying and and displaying your process Mm -hmm. of dismantling what religion looks like in your life based off of the conditioning that has also been such a huge part of your life in a society that doesn't necessarily respect our process of dismantling so major flowers (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally last thing we want to just touch on is where can we find your stuff where can our audience get everything we'll make sure to add that to our platform too Perfect. So I have a website, www.lucinvisions.art. And then I have a section with all of my links on my website as well. So it's www.lucinvisions.art slash links. Lucin is spelled L-U-C-I-N-E, visions, V-I-S-I-O-N-S. And so you can check there for everything. It has everything from like my NFT marketplaces. Um, You can also like actually shop on my website for like prints, originals, Twitter, Lucin underscore art, Instagram, Lucin Visions. And that's because my Lucin visions got blocked on Twitter. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah, like everything is on is on that that link section on my website. Awesome. And I know you touched briefly on the NFT, but do you have or can we reinstate the announcement for NFTs that you have right now? Yes, I have Gen Zero. My Gen Zero, aka the pre-launch, is available, and I honestly think that like owning the pre-launch and owning the gen zero is like super valuable as claiming something that was here before the rest of it. And before the hype really caught on, I believe in my work, you know, at the end of the day, I believe myself as an artist and I know that what I'm doing is going to go far. So if you are interested in collecting my work, like don't wait, get the gen zero and they're actually priced at a really decently. Um, if you are interested in NFTs, I have them listed on OpenSea. Um, I also have a couple other platforms uh, like Doing Good and Rareable that have some other collections as well, but the Allies and Protectors is all on OpenSea. And then stay tuned in the coming months. You know, I'm almost halfway through uh, the, creating my Madam Frog project. 
the PFP project. And so those co- that collection will launch probably over the summer at some point, depending on when I can crank these out. I'll give it a further announcement like on my Instagram and Twitter uh, when I get there and on my website. But Madam Frog is the next big NFT project with the 777 hand-drawn, manually generated profile picture versions of Madam Frog, all censored. You won't have to worry about getting blocked on social media. The only images that are not censored and the ones that are nude are the Gen Zeros. And the Genesis, the Genesis will be coming out soon with the Gen 1, with the full project. That also being said, I have a Discord too, where everybody can come in and kind of like chop it up. And I like to say that's where I can have like all my collectors in one place or even potential collectors. So it's easy to communicate um, just in case, you know, something happens to social media one day. We all have this place. I also have like exclusive uh, updates and stuff for people who are on my Discord as a little reward and such. Um, but the beautiful part like the the cool thing about my nft projects is like i'm really i'm taking my time with them on purpose i'm not i'm not in any rush meaning that the technology behind this is going to be pretty fucking cool um i have a whole team of people uh behind me working on this so it's more than just you receive the nft or even just the jpeg right like it's like one thing will lead to the next which will lead to the next which will lead to the chessboard which will lead to the animation animations which will lead to the ar experience which will lead to the video game etc etc so the nudity aspect and if you do own a gen zero or one of the nude ones or the genesis i have a censored version on the discord that you can save if you do want to make it your profile picture if you want to make it your pfp Uh, but then there won't be an issue with that with any of the gen one madam frogs once they do are released um but just the the earlier stage ones if you do make it just make sure that's censored nice yeah unfortunately (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so so much much for having me. Thank you for talking to us. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for the platform and the opportunity. And like, I got to really like lay out a lot and cover a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, I don't always have the opportunity to talk about like the many different assets and facets of what makes my art what it is and myself as an artist. So thank you. Like truly, Jay, I love you, Maddie. It's so nice to meet you. And thank you for having me. Uh, It's been truly an honor. I really appreciate it. And I'm so happy to be featured on Wild Baby. Yeah, I'm super grateful again for you being a part of this. Um, as a final statement, I just want to wish you all the success and abundance with this coming up projects that you have. I see so much growth in you through M- NFT and your art as a whole, as a human being. So I wish you all the success. And again, thank you so much for being a part of Wild Baby, Wild Baby. <laughs> And that's a wrap on The Art of Toxic Masculinity with Lucin Visions. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we will see you next time. Today's affirmation is, Failing at something doesn't make me a failure. Failing at something gets me closer to my success. Stay safe. Stay sexy. Wild baby. Oh, we're so cute. You like your cupcakes and sprinkles? Yeah. What else? That was a good cupcake. <laughs>